three, two, one. Uh, welcome to TLDR with VHI. Uh, today's guest is Nicola Granger. Nicola has a wealth experience working with local authorities and local causes, such as the flood reliefs in Doncaster in 2019. She's got a wealth of experience on frontline medical staff and has worked with many businesses reformatting and, and sat on both sides of the table in buying and selling. Welcome, Nicola. Hello. Hello. <laughs> All right. Um, the reason I've, I've, I've got you on as well now is mm -hmm. we're going to talk specifically about um, PPE, but mass in particular, in light of the fact that the government are talking about uh, making their decisions next week, um, first week of, of May uh, to, uh, 2020, whether people should be wearing masks in sort of everyday environments, not just obviously frontline medical staff, but people that are potentially going to go to the shops. So. Yeah. Have you got any thoughts on that as a position right now, whether it's actually going to work or not, or what's what's your sort of take on that? Well, there's not much evidence to state that they do have any benefits. But, however, I do understand why they're saying that if it's going to make you feel more confident, by all means, to wear one. But you need to be making sure that you're wearing the right one and yeah. you're not overcompensating and therefore using up supplies that are needed elsewhere. Yeah, well, that's, that's a pretty valid point there. Um, two things. One, we'll go into what are the right masks. Uh, and the second point, which you just raised there as one of my sort of concerns, is what happens to our medical staff in the NHS that need these masks. Um, mm -hmm. the, the, the correct masks, uh, if you want to call them that one, should be the FFP2 or the FFP3 masks. So the, the key question here is, what are FFP2 or FFP3 masks? So I can ask that question if you want, just so we yeah. see. Right. So the FFP uh, in, in the, the masks stands for filtering face piece. Two is level two and level three, oh, sorry, three is level three. So if you look at the way that the masks are actually built, um, the P2, which I'll refer to as, or P2 will be referred to as FFP2, just saves my, <laughs> my tongue on this. And the uh, FFP3 masks um, are, are basically different classifications. So uh, the P2 masks protect against solid and liquid and irritant aerosols with a minimum filter efficiency of 92%. The P3 masks protect against solid and liquid toxic aerosols with a minimum filter efficiency of 98%. That's what the reason why the frontline medical staff want the, the P3 masks because it could potentially sort of uh, filters out 98% of the toxic um, aerosolated matter or aerosolized matter in the, the uh, medical environments. So they're the typical masks that we should be using for this point, but obviously mm -hmm. they're now out of stock. So <coughs> frontline medical staff can't get these. So the everyday person on the street can't get these. Even businesses can't get ne necessarily get these masks as well because it's a, it's a global um, supply chain issue. So we're left now with the surgical masks. Yeah. Or do you, I mean, what's your thoughts on surgical masks in, in relation to um, how they're going to be used in the, uh, the everyday public? Um, and do you see that being a supply chain issue for frontline medical staff as well? Yeah, definitely. I think if you look at other countries that have recommended the use of those, it's created a negative impact on their health structures because they've run low and they're having to reuse. Now, in day-to-day -day life, although they're not reusable, people are reusing them, but it's only on a small-time basis. So someone can nip to a shop 
And as long as it's fitted and used correctly and it's kept sterile after, there's no reason really why they can't reuse it. Whereas if you're on a hospital shift or a, any shift to do with any healthcare, reusing the mask is just not an option because you're not only susceptible to what's in the air, but you have bodily fluids as well. So obviously once that's touched any part of your PPE, you've got a high amount of physical viral and you don't want that. You don't want to touch it. So I think that reusing a mask in day-to-day -day life is acceptable, but not in healthcare. I don't think everybody needs to use one. No. I think there's no scientific proof it has any impact in protecting you against this virus. But what it can do is it can stop you from, if you've got symptoms, yes. it can contain that within your mask. So you're not putting others at risk. But then people are also sharing masks. So somebody's mum can use one and then she comes back and somebody else will use that mask. And that's something that people are not understanding, that even though you're only breathing in it, you are putting particles inside that mask. Well, that's well, you've raised some points there as well, which it needs exploring. <clears throat> I didn't realise that people were sharing masks. I mean, that's, that's, that's sort of certain to me that they don't really understand what the mask is there for, whether it be a P2 or P3 mask or whether it be a surgical mask. Are they thinking that the mask is going to protect them from actually getting the infection and they're not taking into consideration that they actually might be giving bacteria or, or uh, depositing bacteria or other viral matters into that mask to contaminate their their family members. I just don't think it's been portrayed correctly in the media. It's not that the information's not there, because it is there. Mm. We have to look for it. So in the media where there's certain parts where it has said to wear a mask to give you confidence, that's not issuing a protection or any form of scientific information. It's just saying to give you a confidence boost, which like then kind of downpours what it's there for. Like a placebo effect. Where it makes you feel comfortable or confident about it. <clears throat> um, I, I, you see, I can see that. I can also, I'm trying to sort of play devil's advocate on both sides. If, <clears throat> uh, if we look at a, a scenario, an example of a, say, a supermarket, it's a heavy footfall area. Uh, the air is turbulated, which means obviously any um, respiratory droplets may be uh, spun back into the air at eye level or ear level. Um, if you are symptomatic, you shouldn't really be out of the house anyway. However, yeah. we're also in spring now. We're going to go into summer, so there's a high pollen camp. So people are going to have allergies, natural allergies anyway. So they might have uh, runny eyes, runny noses, um, and coughs and, and sneezing. It may be better or, or may make their life easier if they wore a mask to make other people feel more comfortable. Because I think if you, you, if you cough or sneeze now, people look at you like you've got daggers in your eyes. They just take <laughs> the kids up. You're trying to give me COVID. Um, and that's a that's a, a fear monger or, or a fear perception of certain things. However, there is I did read something the other day about people that um, are, are the biggest danger at this is the asymptomatic um, people, which you don't know that you're asymptomatic until you've actually got symptoms. Which sounds perverse because it, am I right? Am I right in that thinking? You might you might be asymptomatic for two or three days. So you're effectively infected and infecting other people, but you don't know that you've got symptoms until you start developing symptoms. And some people don't get symptoms at all. Right, so it's not, uh, this is my point, so it's not, if we take that into <clears throat> consideration, it's not really practical to say to 60, 70 million people, 
you all need to wear a mask. As much as we might think that's a good idea, actually, it's not really practical. Um, okay. I don't know how the supply, and my biggest fear, which you've already sort of touched on as well, is when this all started to break in January, February, and people started panic buying, they bought toilet rolls, uh, or they bought, they sold out of all toilet rolls. They just bought them in any single supermarket they could get. Same thing for flour, as daft as it might sound, rice, pastas, hand sanitizers, and the P2 and the P3 mask, did this, they went the same way. Now, there's there was a lot less P2 mask than there were of toilet roll. And there's quite a significant amount of surgical type 2 and type 2R and type 1 surgical mask now. However, there's only a finite number of, of manufacturers or qualified or certified manufacturers in the Far East that can produce these masks. If everyone and their son or everyone and their daughter wants to buy these masks, and we're talking about frontline medical staff, this is if this isn't managed correctly, this, this could be another another catastrophic shortfall. Yeah. Now, the other thing I did see as well, which, again, I, I presume they're, they're offering this from almost like a common sense approach where they're saying uh, something is better than nothing. So you, you've heard people, CDC, for example, we were, were talking a few weeks ago about putting tea towels or T-shirts over your, over your face when you're, you're out and about. So you think you might snooze or scarves or something else, but like if you can't get these particular masks, surely, at least if it's a case of something's better than nothing, that should be the first approach for the general public as opposed to going for the surgical type 2 masks or type 1 masks and then putting the doctors and nurses at risk or the supply chains at risk to try and get these particular masks. It, it, yeah. it strikes as me as a case of, has anybody really thought this through? Or am I, am I, I missing think <laughs> there's many other ways that people could do it if it was just make you feel more confident and more comfortable and there isn't more scientific evidence that comes out for people that just need that there are other options available although they're not used in healthcare, there are other options there's the homemade masks which you don't recommend but something's better than nothing for some people who want yeah. it as long as you keep it clean and wash it at a 60 wash and obviously keep it sterile and it doesn't fall to pieces because you never know. Well, you, well, yeah, but that could do, if there's nothing else yeah. as a general public, surely that is the answer rather than going down, taking things that are needed by healthcare because obviously nurses and doctors can refuse to treat. So if PPE runs that low, there won't be an NHS. Which is obviously So people need to be more mindful of it than what they are. But are they going to be, though? I mean, I'm looking at this from a point of a supply chain issue. Even if they, mm -hmm. even if they had the money to do it, and this is, this is, I think, what we've seen recently, um, there are companies out there or people out there that are looking at making a quick quick book or a quick quid. They're, they're not necessarily experienced within personal protective equipment uh, or a respiratory protective equipment or anything like that. They might be um, a construction um Company. It might be a builder's merchant, or they might have uh, some connection to PPE, as in they use it, but they don't buy it, they don't manufacture it, they don't source it. They're basically ticking a box in terms of their risk assessment, health and safety. Some of these people have been bringing in masks, uh, overalls, gowns, all these kind of things, um, and presenting them as though they are fit for purpose. And we've heard horror stories that actually some masks aren't even worthwhile throwing in the bin. The counterfeit masks, which is a pretty low point as far as I'm concerned when it comes to people. I, I don't agree with counterfeiting stuff anyway, but there's a market for it to a certain extent because of the price variations. 
if you start replicating masks that aren't fit for purpose, but presenting them as their fit for purpose, not just exposing yeah. people to this thing now, the reason why these P2 masks and P3 masks are, are, exist effectively is for workplace use primarily. So outside of the frontline medical staff, we're talking about people that work within engineering or working within woodwork, for example, or um, automotive, whether spray painting, or they're using chemicals, along with yeah. other PPE. This is going to be, or they're potentially going to be drip fed into uh, into typical use, and that's exposing other people long after this has, has eased off or, or even potentially disappeared. Um, I think it's a, it just strikes me as a case of, yeah, wear a mask, and they're not thinking the consequences of well, how they're going to get these masks. Yeah, um, I know someone that works in crafting. He's um, he's a carpenter by trade. He owns a company, and they they make sort of their bedside units and the furniture for hospitals. Mm. And um, I did ask him the other day about their PPE, and they don't have masks at all at the moment. But people are not thinking of them because what they're making is coming into hospitals and doctors and other health facilities. If they've not been protected while making these and the turnaround at the moment is having to be that quick it's then putting more pressure that every single thing is having to be more than double checked and selling counterfeit is just holding up that even more so then it makes you have to wait an extra six weeks and there's some really bad horror stories that you're having to reuse gowns on hospital wards four or five times and they're washing the gowns these are one use only gowns And this is the problem. And look at the statistics today. 48% of all doctors and nurses have sourced or got from charities their own PPE because there's too much problem getting the supplies in. So surely if we say everyone buy a mask, that is going to make that situation tenfold worse. Yeah, that's the the kind of concern, I suppose, as as a member of the community or as a member of... Well, you'd never know what you, when you're going to need it or not, and it's, it does concern me a little bit. Where you think, well, this it doesn't strike me that it's been well thought through. If Johnson comes out there and says, "Well, wear it if, you, if it's going to make you feel better," and someone interprets that as, "Well, I better, I better get some," yeah, uh, because what you just highlighted there with the cabinet maker is some of our clients, um, they shut down earlier than they should have done, literally because they couldn't get the P two or P three mask. So they couldn't physically, or well, they could physically do the work, but they couldn't do it from a health and safety point of view. So they closed early, which is then having a knock-on effect for the economic viability of that company and obviously the economy as a whole. Um, and then when we're phasing back in now, it's it's not going to be probably until July, August, or at least somewhat people telling us that these these P two and P three masks are going to come back on, and that's including for what we see for the frontline medical. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Is there a solution to it? I mean, what's your thoughts on... I think there is ways that they could make this a lot easier. I think they need to be ordering in larger shipments rather than in a month-to-month rolling shipment. They could forward plan this better. They could have forward planned it better from the beginning, but they're still in a position where they could forward plan this and order more than what's needed so that this doesn't happen again. But then I think you need to look at the manufacturers and make sure that you're buying from the correct companies rather than just going for the cheapest. Yeah. Well, some, in some cases, they're not necessarily even going for the cheapest. They're going for the false economies. And it might look 
well, in some cases, not even when they're that cheap, that they think they're getting a good deal because they can get it all in one hit. And then it's yeah. in quarantine and customs for anywhere between four to six weeks. Well, that's not exactly good, good if you've got hundreds of thousands of, of, of products sitting there. Um, but looking from yeah. their point of view, do they really want to be buying um, a huge quantity of, of, say, face shields or, or masks or gowns? Um, if, I mean, they are going to use them eventually, uh, but some of the sort of, I don't know, what would, what would be a reason that they wouldn't buy more than a month's worth at a time? Is it a budgetary constraint? Is it is it a policy constraint? What's what's the reason? I think there's a lot of pressure for budgets for each department and each settings, mm. and they've got individual budgets, and then as a whole, it has a business budget, and then that goes to a panel, and it, it's a lengthy process yeah. to even get the budget. I personally think it's too lengthy, and there's obviously shortfalls in it. It was only on the news in the past week that the ventilators have come from China, I think. And, they're not and they, well, they've passed customs, come here, and turns out they're actually a counterfeit. Wow. So they're of no use. So surely if we're doing the same with the masks, unless you know you're going to the right people, you could go through the exact same thing. And some businesses can't take that loss. No. They don't have the finance to absorb that cost. Well, you've just you've hit on something that, that we've VHI sort of stay clear away from the P two and the P three mask. We've we've been approached by several companies um, in in our supply chain areas, um, mm -hmm. suggesting that we've got these P two masks and these P three masks. And our question, and I suppose if, if we're saying this to the, the person that's listening to this, um, because they may be in the same sort of situation to us, whether they be a large end user or, or sort of a, a smaller business. Uh, mm -hmm. When we started asking them for certifications, they were less than forthcoming um, <clears throat> with that. When they did finally showed up, it just didn't feel right. We asked them for um, a physical sample. They were looking through it because they're based over in the Far East, which you, you can understand. You're not going to send a mask. It's a case of it's a seller's market. You either buy it or you don't. So we asked them to send some photographic evidence of it uh, to say that this is what it is. And it's going to be or every single product that you're going to be getting in whatever numbers you're going to order is going to be exactly the same as this. So it's going to have the same application, the same box, the same design, and everything. And they wouldn't do it or they couldn't do it. And it was a case of there's more that can go wrong with that. And it's not something that we would want to put our clients in position going, well, we can get P2 masks and P3 masks. But actually, we don't know whether they actually are. Um, so we've sort of stayed clear from that one on the basis that we don't want to promise them and under-deliver, because that's essentially what's been happening out there. People approaching NHS, approaching um, essential services, saying, we've got these products, and they're not. Either they've been stung, or when they get into the, the business that they sold them to, um, they're not fit for purpose. They're, they are either counterfeit, or they're not. As described, they, they just look like they're cobbled together or stitched together, and it's, it's not, <coughs> not a good place to be in at the moment um, for any of the NHS or any of the frontline workers. Um, I'd love to have a solution to it, if I was being honest, but... I do think that that needs to be more educated to the end users. So the people who are making the orders hmm. need to be asking more questions rather than just depending on companies to do it for them. Yes. I mean, if you're going to be putting a million pound order in, it makes logical sense to say, 
could you just send me some photographic proof of what I'm ordering so that they already know what they're going to get. Whereas a lot of it is just a a normal picture that you can find off Google. So I can get you 50,000 of these. might not look anything like it. Well, they're hitting hopes. I mean, the way that we approach it and the way that, again, it it sounds subjective, but it should really be a process way. There are lots of PPE mm-hmm. companies out there that are in a very similar position to us. Some of them are actually closed, as in they've shut down for other staff and, and not even supplying their own clients about it. Others are stepping up, um, but even they're susceptible to it. Mm-hmm. They should be telling their clients, or, or rather, if, if anybody's listening to this and thinking, well, I need to get a, a certain type of product, whether it be an overall, a type five, uh, a type five six coverall, mask, gloves, whatever it's going to be, they should be approaching their current PPE supplier and asking them key questions and getting them to, to give them assurances, the client assurances, um, that what they're going to supply them is fit for purpose, it is certified, and it does everything it says it does in the box. Sending visual proofs to this one, testing it themselves. If they've got eyeballs on the ground at source, that always mm-hmm. helps because it's a reassurance element to it. But unfortunately, that's not the case. And, and I think there's a lot of hitting and hoping, people taking big risks. Now, if it pays off, great. You've made a lot of money, you've sold everything you need to sell, and then you move on to the next thing. But if it doesn't pay off, there's, there's businesses that will lose much, much more investment. And after this is all settled up, shall we say, or eased off a little bit. And I know some of the uh, regulations have been relaxed in terms of using N95 or KN95 masks, which are uh, a Chinese and a, and a US uh, designation. They're not certified for use in the EU. I don't think for a second that these masks will just basically go into the bin. They'll be used within industry um, throughout throughout the future. And that's what concerns me because then it's a case of if something goes wrong, someone has a, a, a respiratory problem, they will be complaining about it as, as soon as it raises up. So, yeah. so let's <laughs> I think we've done masks. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, unless you've got anything else to add on to it in, in terms of what, what you think would, I mean, what do you think the government are going to advise next week? Do you think they're going to advise that we should be using masks? I would like to hope that they advise that you only need a mask if you've already got a respiratory issue or you're showing symptoms. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, right. it's not essential. There's no physical scientific evidence that this makes any difference. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's, I think if we can get <clears throat> that as an extract. So what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. There's no scientific evidence to suggest that wearing a mask is going to stop you getting the infection, but it yeah. will stop you passing on infection <coughs> restrict the amount of coughs, sneezes, or breathing and respiratory droplets of any kind of bacterial virus mask. Yes. Yeah. So if you are symptomatic, the guidelines are you should be at home anyway, self-isolating for seven to potentially 14 days. That doesn't change. If you've got allergies and you're coughing and sneezing, you don't know if you've got something, maybe worthwhile wearing a mask. But if you think you're going to be wearing a mask and you go to the to a supermarket, for example, and mm-hmm. walking down the street and your eyeballs uh, are not protected with PPE, you're not wearing coveralls, you're not wearing gloves, and you're not wearing overshoes, you don't have a decontamination or a disinfectant plan after when you get back home, it's largely superficial. Yeah, definitely. I think that it could be useful for some people but i wouldn't say that we should recommend that you wear one just go to the shops i mean if you are symptomatic you shouldn't be going anyway Mm -hmm. 
but if you don't have anyone that can go all local councils are doing that service you just need to phone your main number and ask to speak to the hub and they can arrange to drop your food parcels off right i don't think that's been documented enough either because it was just the people at high risk that got the letter yes i think there's a lot but that is available for if anybody's really in need they can ask for help i mean i mean that's assuming that they've got or they haven't got sort of neighbours or families that can help them. You're not asking someone to go into the ha- your house. You're asking someone to basically potentially cross it with your doorstep, knock on the door, ring the doorbell, and then walk away a little bit, maybe six, seven foot, and say, "I've got your stuff. You know, let me know if you need anything else." Um, and and even then, people need to be giving the items a deep clean before you just put them in your cupboards. Well, that's another interesting point because. I think with all this that's been going on, people talking about uh, cross-contamination or how long that this, this virus or any virus can survive on certain surfaces and what works and what doesn't work. There's an element of this that, again, speaking from a, a layperson's point of view, <clears throat> I know that there are certain diseases that naturally occur in your skin or natural bacteria, whether it's strep, it's a strep sorry, or, or uh, staph, mm-hmm. that actually keep your body healthy because your body's constantly fighting it. The fact that we've all mm-hmm. been self-isolating, and it's just my opinion, but it could <clears> be <throat> a, a problem because we've not been any physical proximity to other people to, to pass on that. Um, I don't think herd immunity is the right word, but you know, the, or is it the right word? Um, not necessarily. I think oh. every person's body's different. Yeah. I do I mean- agree that being the way that isolation's been, people are going to naturally have sort of deficiencies that have built up anyway, even healthy people. So it's definitely, it's on the NHS site anyway, that people should be taking at least 10 milligrams of vitamin D a day because clearly they're not getting out as they should do. Yeah. Don't think it's been documented enough. So there is a chance that everybody is going to have a low immune system. So we're going out kind of not prepared to be going back out mm-hmm. well that's uh, i would imagine if they're going to phase this out that they're going to do it in less susceptible people first uh, mm-hmm. people that have got comorbidities or um, immunosuppression they should obviously act to caution that's obviously taking the medical advice not my advice that's got to be a caveat um so when when these people get back to when they go shopping and they're picking up plastic bottles or picking up glass or picking up other metal, certainly if they're picking up the um, uh, shopping baskets or even the shopping trolleys. Uh, I've, I've personally seen it. You go in there, they, they don't wipe or wash it down. They just pick it up and go in. And that's fine because you don't really expect to, to encounter this thing there anyway. And as long as you come home and wash your hands properly, and, and when I say properly, you, everybody should have seen by now the way that surgeons use it. You know, you, you do it properly all over the hand not just on the palm of the hand and the, and the palm of the fingers mm-hmm. uh, it's whether people like <clears throat> if people did that before this took off maybe this would have been mitigated slightly but the fact that people still go to the toilet and don't wash their hands is a yeah. case of uh, in this day and age it still sort of baffles me and um, so you'd assume that if you go to the supermarket and they come home you would like to think that they're washing their hands for their own personal sake but if they're not and all they're doing effectively is compromising things even further. It just seems a bit... Well, it was the NHI study that found that the SARS-CoV-2 virus survives up to 24 hours on cardboard. 
and okay. can survive up to three days on plastic and stainless steel. Okay. So if you imagine somebody who has been symptomatic but they're wearing a mask, they've also could be contaminated by not washing their hands or not having gloves. So they could go in and get cereals and touch a few boxes. And if that can live for 24 hours on that, I just think just be really cautious. If you've got health concerns already, yeah. you need to be... I mean, it takes two minutes to just give it a quick wipe down and make sure that everything's put away properly. Yeah. I, I must admit, when I went shopping, I've not actually done that. I've not wiped the, the products down. And mm -hmm. um, I'll probably look at doing that now. But then a part of me also thinks, is that overkill? But then there's so much... I think it'd that. depend, wouldn't it? Because people like my nana she falls into the over 70s category she wipes all her shopping down when she puts it away but it only takes an extra couple of minutes yeah, yeah, yeah. makes sense um i guess so although we've been doing the shopping and dropping it off she's been really careful at wiping it and putting it away because although we're clean it doesn't mean that everybody else that's been in there they're clean and also as well if it is respiratory droplets and they drop on fruit for example because that's usually exposed okay they've got skins on them but if you're grabbing that with your hands and not washing mm -hmm. it, or you you know buy some apples, say for example, you don't wash them, you put them straight in your mouth. I think that's the thing where people they might be wearing these masks thinking they're bulletproof, and it is placebo effect maybe, or it's just a case of it's a confidence boost or reassurance from their point of view, like a crutch. I've seen people wear these; they, they drop it down to take a drink out of something, or they they rub their eyes, and they're not. You know what I mean? It's like they're not really sort of being conscious. They might be wearing a mask, but they're not conscious of the hands or the other environments they're in there. And if this thing is uh, in respiratory droplets and it, it transfers through mucous membranes through the eyes or the ears or sort of mouth and nose, and it's it's containing your hands or your clothes, then <laughs> you might as well not be wearing the mask in some ways, unless you've actually got symptoms, unless you've actually been um, exposed to something along the sort of line. It's uh, it's a Bit of a strange one for people to get their head around, I suppose, isn't it? So, uh, I think if everybody focused on just add your basic hygiene, some shops are really good, some shops um, constantly stand and disinfect the trolleys and the baskets yeah. and they're really cautious, but then other shops are not as cautious. I think everybody needs to take a bit of ownership here well, and think about... Budget. Yeah, and... If you're wearing a mask, you need to be wearing at least gloves. At least. But that brings another concern in terms of why the gloves that uh, a doctor or a nurse would wear, um, the nitrol or the, the, um, the non-latex ones, the, the typical blue ones, are mm -hmm. in such short supply now that you can't necessarily buy them. So what type of gloves would you wear? I mean, are you talking about marigold that you would wear in the kitchen? Are you talking about another type of glove that you can you can buy from anywhere? Well, from my personal experience in the past few weeks, nearly every single DIY or supermarket are selling disposable rubber gloves. Okay. They're not perfect. They're not anywhere what healthcare people should be using. Mm -hmm. But for general public, as long as you are sanitising, cleaning your hands correctly, putting your gloves on correctly, and throwing them out before you go into your house, yep. you've also then stopped yourself from touching products that may have this on there. So that would be a much easier fix than 
everyone having to clean everything that comes into your house. That makes sense. They don't have to be hospital gloves. No. But definitely not marigolds, because <laughs> it'd cost you way too much to have to keep throwing well, them out every yeah. day. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, again, speaking from a point of uh, we sell gloves, um, mm-hmm. and I know kind of what gloves I put in my mind, but at the same time as that one, there's always that case of, well, wouldn't it just be cheaper to just go down to a supermarket and buy? But as you say, if the, if the DIY shops are available and they're actually selling some nitrile-ish gloves um, mm-hmm. or mechanic-type gloves, and you can get hold of them and it's used for that purpose. But oh, as long as they're using it, they're not thinking I'm 100% protected or I'm 98% protected from this because it's just not really poss- possible to do that. Yeah. No, they're just the disposable vinyl gloves. So they're, they're not what you would use in a hospital setting, but you're not in a hospital setting. You're no. going to the supermarket. Yeah, and you're just trying to sort of risk or mitigate the risk mm. of catching something or passing something on. Yeah. So do you think that that's what, what's going to come down the pipe, do you think? Or is it a case of common sense? It depends how- on how it goes in media, doesn't it? I think um, people will panic and try and get everything, but businesses and obviously the NHS should be given Priority. the correct gloves for their job. I yeah. think general public... There's more than one way of resourcing these latex gloves, or they're not they're not massively expensive. They they don't really serve much of a purpose. They're easily torn. But if you're only going to your supermarket, yeah, there's absolutely no reason why that is not a good solution for that. And but again, as a caveat to that one, that's essentially if you're in a position where you might be susceptible to this, or or viruses yeah. in general. So if you're fit and healthy, um it could be seen as overkill. So it, I'm trying to sort of put this in a picture where we're not suggesting people go out there and buy masks or buy gloves because... Oh, no, definitely not. Um, I wouldn't need them. I'm healthy, I don't need them. But people like Marana, when this is dropped and she's going to be going out, I'll, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on her and making mm. sure she's doing what she can just because she already has health problems. But... It's all down to each individual, really, and it's your own opinion. There is no scientific proof. There's no guidelines on this. So it's just about educating people on what does what and what serves what purpose for whom. That's interesting. I mean, I think um, I'm going to do some some work and research onto onto the mask. I think I'm going to put something together um, like an educational point of view, Not, not to sell stuff, but just to help people understand what the mask is for how they're going to work, and then potentially uh, sort of cross-reference that with some of the gloves um, that you do stuff. Um, I think you need, there needs to be something showing people what does what and how to put them on and take them off. Mm-hmm. Because although you're wearing it and you're wearing it correctly, you could come home, walk inside your house, then take it off, you could chuck it in the bin, you could be putting it everywhere else anyway. So yeah. there needs to be something to make sure people know what they're doing and businesses need to be protecting the staff and ordering from companies that you've got a guarantee of knowing that they've already got a good reputation rather than just going to your local shops and buying masks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, any business now, whether it's, it's, it's I mean, they should be going to their, their existing PPs or asking them for advice is a tough word because you can't 
or they might not be able to advise, but they can certainly point them in the right direction to say, well, what do you need? What's your risk assessment today? And obviously the risk assessments are going to be redrawn um, as people go back to work in light of this. So you might have been <coughs> hand sanitizers, uh, soap dispensers or hand sanitizer dispensers as well. Um, it could be a case of you're going to be sort of thin. You might have a skeleton staff on there. They might be wearing masks as a precaution. Uh, we're talking about surgical masks at that particular point. It might be a case of people that work in certain proximity to say, food or, or products that might be going out to, to the wider public might have to step I think up there. Hand sanitizer needs some more education out there. There's many different types of hand sanitizer. Well, and I, I some are not actual <laughs> viral yeah, well, protecting. I mean, I think we were talking a few weeks ago. There's, there was <clears> a, um, a petrol station that was basically pumping it, and it's antibacterial. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't alcohol based. So, yeah. the guidelines at the moment is basically 70% plus um, alcohol based hand sanitizer. Uh, and if it has antiviral properties, then you know that it's actually going to strip down. But the reason why it's so effective against viruses in general is because <clears> the, the protein, oh, sorry, the, yeah, it's a protein envelope that surrounds the, the virus itself. It's soluble. Yeah, itself. I'm just thinking more along the lines of businesses that are going back that wouldn't have used that before yes so like offices or mainly offices really because they're obviously on the keyboards a lot and they wouldn't necessarily have had that available before they might just bulk order off amazon they might not even know what they're supposed to get so there needs to be some education to make sure that they're going to the right suppliers because they might not even have a ppe supplier yet they might not but they, they will most likely have some health and safety risk assessment in place. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think if you're talking about keyboards, if you're using your own, say, desktop or laptop and it's not a communal keyboard, it's still advisable to get wipes down, alcohol wipes to, to make sure, and obviously the computer friendly that will do that, hand sanitizers, um, soaps, and actually having the proper soap, not expensive soap, but actually effective soap, and then showing people how to use it. And then after that, using barrier creams to actually keep sure that the, the goodness, the oils and the fats in the hands are replenished because that's also a concern. I know we've talked primarily about face masks, but there's a lot of contact dermatitis. You know what we're talking about wearing gloves when you're going shopping? Yeah. People that are washing their hands, if, even if you're just washing like say a liquid or other, quote, other uh, washing up brands uh, uh, or normal soap, you will be defatting your hands. You'll be stripping your hands of the natural oils and fats in there. That can yeah. create something contact dermatitis. And then effectively, these tiny little minor fissures or abrasions in the skin leave you susceptible to other bacterial infections as obviously as well as the viral infection. If you've yeah. been you know, suppressed <clears throat> and you're not putting the barrier cream in there and potentially wearing a glove, that's another entry point for this nasty little so-and-so to, to come into the, 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 uh, your body. So it does need some work. I think we're going to we're going to put something together and, and help people as much as possible. And from an educational point of view, help people understand what the what they should be looking for in terms of their risk assessments, what they need, uh, and then tell them what their requirements are, and then we potentially give them the answers to them. Uh, I think it, yeah. And if you do something along that lines, and with your businesses, they can then promote that to their staff mm-hmm. and share that information. And then they'll go home and share that information. But as long as it's relayed correctly, it won't be an issue because people will start to grasp it. Whereas if it's just on the news, I saw a few weeks ago, you should wash your hands every 20 minutes. 
please don't wash your hands every 20 minutes. <laughs> it's not, it's not good for you. <laughs> it's a funny thing where effectively you're looking at the, the mass media, we're talking including obviously platforms like Facebook and YouTube, yeah. aren't being utilised um, in a correct way to help educate people um, to their mm. It seems to be uh, all about clickbait or headlines. Um, I mean, you just have to look on, on YouTube. You can find, but uh, I think public health, uh, public health uh, England shows how to put PP on, obviously for medical staff, uh, care homes, and how to wash your hands. And mm. at the month, they've got probably three, four hundred thousand views. And you're thinking that could do with twenty times that, a hundred times that, so people actually understand it. But you're right. If you're talking to businesses or you're talking to people, they take that education, go home, and, and show the family how to do it. But arguably, that should have been done back in January. Yeah, I think we're fighting behind time, mm. but there's no greater media than word of mouth. No, nope, it right. spreads a lot faster than any social media platform. I think if it's put out in the correct way, and you do it on there and through word of mouth, you're kind of doubling up the information and keeping it simple so people can grasp how to do it, and then it will just become habitual. And it will affect massively on the amount of PP people are buying. Yeah. Because they're obviously buying, at the moment, incorrect PPE, which is affecting mass scales of companies. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a supply chain issue. Um, right. Right. Thank you, Nicola. Um, great guest. Fantastic. We can leave it Thank there. Thank you. Oh. Yeah. <laughs>